This is Risky Women Radio, a show to connect, celebrate and champion women in risk, regulation and compliance. Sharing insight and perspective from the most influential members of our global Risky Women Network on the latest developments we need to think about, the challenges we should all talk more about and the innovation we are most excited about in governance, risk and compliance. Bringing together the hundreds of senior women professionals already connected with a new emerging group of leading women and men. I'm Kimberly Cole, your Chief Risky Woman. Good evening and good morning. Welcome to the Risky Women podcast, championing women in risk and compliance. I'm Kellyanne McHugh from My Compliance Office, and today, in this episode, we are excited to bring you a fantastic leader in the AI and financial crime space of RegTech. Today, we will be discussing reimagining financial crime risk, utilizing AI to enhance financial crime intelligence, where we will meet Amalia, the AI brain behind the detection of financial crime. Alke is the CEO of fintech startup Riscotech, a company she founded in 2018 with the aim of using artificial intelligence and big data to transform risk assessment of financial crime detection. They have developed Amalia. She is the brain behind the financial crime detection. Elke is a former global head of risk management, having worked for some of the largest banks in the world to London, Frankfurt and Singapore. She has held several global direct positions at group level that included investment banking, private banking and retail banking. She also worked for the European Central Bank during the time of Eastern European country accession. Her core expertise is in risk, credit risk, data analytics, op risk and financial crime risk. She is a thought leader in advocating more comprehensive risk models that take into account big data in an intelligent, high-tech supported and calculated manner. She has a BSc and MSc in Stats and Psychology from Germany and an MBA in Finance from London, an Investment Management Diploma from the London Business School and various courses within Treasury Risk and Computer Programming, to name a few. And she speaks regularly at industry conferences, and she recently won a Kindness and Leadership Award from Women of the Future's 25 Leading Lights. Welcome to our podcast here today. Wow, what a bio. Thank you very much. It's a pleasure for us to have you with us here and, you know, and, and speaking to our network. We're, we're going to start off with going through a little bit around your career journey and how you got here today. I mean, just listening to your bio, it's fantastic, all of the study and the different roles and how you got into financial crime from credit risk. Tell us a little bit about your role now and what are your key responsibilities? Yeah, so now, now I'm the CEO of an innovative RegTech startup and that provides deep tech solution for the assessment of financial crime risk. So my key responsibilities cover a lot of them. So they, they cover all aspects of the business, marketing, accounting, operations, system development, product development, legal, and uh, HR as well, and all the hiring process. So in my banking career, I used to feel really under-challenged. You can only use like a small um, fraction of your all your uh, skills. Now I feel uh, that my limits have been well ex- explored. <laughs> and, uh, and now we're drawing up uh, on all my previous experience and skill, and uh, I'm continuously learning new ones, which is fantastic. Absolutely. I'm sure that makes it all the more rewarding as well, because every input, you know, you're seeing the real reward and output at the end. Yeah, that's true. So we've already heard from the bio a little bit around your career journey. 
take us a little bit on a journey with regards to that, how you started and how you ended up here and share some of the highlights today. So after 20 years of banking career being locked away into air-conditioned towers, and uh, from my heart, I'm, I'm truly a nature lover. And uh, so being born into this uh, half a century where most of the deforestation takes place and the animals disappear, and yet I'm sitting there being a nature lover, I'm sitting in an air-conditioned tower in a city. So I really wanted to do something else. And uh, so after 20 years in banking, I, I've now taken a different approach. And with this approach, I'm thrilled that my career has now allowed me to address some of the issues also around wildlife and environmental crime, deforestation, because all of these have manifestation in financial crime. So they are done with corruption and bribery and uh, for the purpose of making lots of money based on illicit means. So I started out in the investment banking um, risk operations after I've moved from the UK. So from Germany, I studied in Germany, then moved to the UK. And then I held several roles with businesses and technology domains. And my experience is altered between banking and consulting as well. And I've covered credit risk, market risk, operational risk, and uh, lastly, also financial crime risk. And I have also seen uh, banking from the corporate bank's perspective, from private, and I even worked for the European Central Bank for three years in Frankfurt and uh, had some in Zurich and, and Hong Kong and Singapore on the way to my career. So I've covered, uh, covered a lot of the globe. There were quite a few highlights that uh, I would like to address. And the biggest highlights of my career have taken place in just uh, the most recent years. So it's uh, an eye-opening experience setting up a business and defining my own uh, direction. is such an interesting field and such a rewarding field as well. So the field such as financial crime is, uh, is just so interesting and uh, I never knew before I did it that it's just so widespread. The estimates, I think, are five trillion, but yet uh, I found an individual or several individuals that are more wealthy than a whole country's GDP. So it's widespread it's, and uh, all of us are somehow part of it, facilitating it. So this has been really, really interesting. And uh, so in the past, working in a bank, I was mainly exposed to segmented parts of a risk management organization where I met with internal management and colleagues to discuss um, company-specific matters, inward-looking specific matters. Now I have exposure to many different areas in the detection of financial crime. Like uh, I've identified terrorist links behind wildlife crime. I've followed the uh, trading routes and counterfeit medication activities. I've uncovered the trail of illicit imports and exports of goods. I've seen and detected cases of government corruption. I've identified parallel networks in uh, offshore tax havens, and I've identified money laundering methods used to illegally shift millions of dollars through the bank. So I can honestly say that my real life is now more interesting than Netflix. Oh my gosh, that's so true. I mean, all of the documentaries, I've just seen that there's um, they're looking to release one on the FIFA corruption case, actually. Um, I don't know whether it's Netflix or somebody else's, but... Um, like there are a lot of financial crime shows that glorify, I think, a lot of these glorify. I mean, hopefully the one about FIFA corruption won't, but, you know, there's certain ones where you go, oh. So, I mean, at least you're on the right side of financial crime, right? <laughs> Helping to detect yes, it. We are. We are making the right side more available to many more people. So to build up a global global understanding of how widespread this is. Yeah, I think you 
you raised some good points there, right? Um, particular individuals whose net worth is more than the GDP of, say, the country that they're from or, or other countries, et cetera. Like, I mean, how does that work? And then unfortunate things like te- identifying terrorist links behind wildlife crime. You know, so many people absolutely detest that wildlife crime occurs. And I mean, I think most general humans do. But being able to identify that must feel so rewarding, particularly, as you said, you love the outdoors. It is very rewarding. And it's also nice to hear then that people are interested what you found a terrorist. Our investigation stopped at finding the one who slaughtered and, and chipped them. But we didn't look at uh, the purpose of it. And uh, so then if it turns out it's a terrorist case rather than a wildlife crime, it gets much more attention, much more funding and more can be done. So it's an absolutely important angle to take that is traditionally missed because you assume that you don't have access to bank accounts and you can't find it, but you can. Well, I'm interested to hearing more about that throughout the podcast. I think this next question is probably pretty self-explanatory based on what you already said, but what are the biggest risks that you've taken and have they paid off? I think they have paid off uh, or it's still to be, I mean, it's still to be seen. We're a young startup, but um in terms of rewarding experience and happiness, they have long paid off. <laughs> and uh, so the, the biggest risk I think I took is uh, to decide that I I will leave the banking career for good. So now it's uh, going into the more unknown world of startup, but it's my own destiny for me to shape, for me to change. It's tremendously more rewarding and uh, makes me happy every day. <laughs> so I get out of bed voluntarily. Well, we do like to hear that, particularly in COVID times, um, <laughs> where which we... All still are mostly, um, particularly here in Singapore, still another month really to go. Of, um, we can't jump out of bed and go to an office, so jumping out of bed and getting to exciting work is at least something. I'm also, it, uh, it has given opportunities because the, the criminals, yes, they are also locked down, but so where, where there's corruption, you might find that some of the goods have been declared as illicit. Some competitors still sell them, so how is this possible? And so it uncovered quite a few of the illicit people that are in these markets. And that's quite interesting on how some of these countries then operate. Yeah, I mean, absolutely interesting. I mean, we've seen a lot of that um, be detected already, haven't we? A lot of healthcare goods and cases like that. So obviously, you've probably learned a few different things along the way and moving from banking to starting your own startup, fintech, regtech here in Singapore. What have been some of the most important lessons you've learned along the way? I think lesson number one is follow your dreams. And no matter what people tell you, stay secure and so on. Follow your dreams, I think, is one of the most important lessons to learn. Because if you don't follow your dreams, then life is short. <laughs> and, uh, and initially following your dreams and leaving, doing what most people will never do, you get immediately discouraged by many who want to be you know, helpful by being devil's advocate. And saying, you know, these are the risks, that is the risk, that won't work, this won't work. But then, you know, if you still do it, you you will succeed because it's your own and you can make it work. So it's a, it's a matter of uh, pulling through and it's your own baby and, uh, and it's much more rewarding. And then also I learned it's uh, you can't do it alone. And there's just not, not enough hours in the day to run all of it. And uh, as you go along, you find it super exciting and you want to explore just another product angle, just another market segment. And, uh, and you need people for this. And you also need the brightest and the smartest. And first and foremost, the most flexible ones. 
So people who go with time, who embrace new technologies is priceless. They're fantastic. And then also uh, another lesson, emotion and business doesn't work sometimes, but uh, the best results in many aspects come from quantifiable analysis. So most businesses have failed because the founder loves their product too much and, uh, and doesn't look at uh, who is their customer. This you get warned in many of the, the uh, incubators and startup and, and so make sure you, you ask your customer, what do you think <laughs> before you spend all this, uh, all this money building something that you find really, really cool. And I'm still emotional about Amalia. I think she is fantastic. <laughs> it's, it's important to pick a role model. And for women leaders in financial services, I think it's uh, pretty difficult. And we all probably had some experience with our own kind being not the supportive one. Now I think it's changing drastically. And uh, I've met so many wonderful women and uh, so many supportive women. And, and it's, uh, it's been absolutely superb. So there's many, many women leaders you can now take inspiration from and also who, who don't lead like with, with the worst example of what they have experienced and then try and replicate it. But they lead with kindness, with empathy and create much more than what we would have probably all expected 10 or 20 years ago. It's, it's an interesting point. And I think I mentioned this on the last podcast because I am from New Zealand, but I think a leader who has led through COVID in this time with a, with empathy has been Jacinda Ardern. So um, yeah, that's that's been really inspiring to watch. Even seeing people who aren't on the right side of that, you know, of her politics have been inspired by her, which is great. Um, so who are some of your, the, the role models you have been inspired by then? Well, um, I think uh, our Chancellor Angela Merkel, she started uh, 16 years ago, or 15 years now. And uh, uh, she was, I think she started at a time when it was still very much male dominated. And uh, and so where the whole government was made up of like 80% men and uh, 20% women being in, in family and environment, underfunded <laughs> budgets. And uh, so she's pushed all of this to, to make tremendous progress uh, in Germany and uh, Germany when at the time when I left, when, the, when, when I left, there were two percent of women in leadership positions in Germany, and uh, so now I think she she's moved it up to some fantastic twenty five percent. I thought she has a she has a f- fantastic way. She leads with kindness, with empathy. She's well respected, and she leads to do a good job for society for her people, which I think is really nice. And another leader is Lee Kuan Yew from Singapore, the founding father. I think what I admire with him most as well is that he's also been in this to create something, so to do a good job, rather than for many, it's the the power aspect that is so enchanting. But uh, I read his biography, From Third World to First. And when I read through this, it's pretty much the same as, as a startup. So what do you need to build? What do you need now? What departments do you need? <laughs> what functions? Um, I'm, I'm actually literally writing this down right now. It starts when he was kicked out of Malaysia and then he had like the swampy land. Then he made something out of it. He did the vision. He ran it like, like a startup and succeeded. So when we look around now, how Singapore looks like, I mean, phenomenal. <laughs> this is one of the few people who, who would ever be able to do it. No, Fantastic. So I think this teaches all of us a lesson to see whatever problems you have. It might, must have been daunting to, to be the only woman leader in a male cabinet and, uh, or, or you know, be the, 
the master of a swampland, <laughs> but it's it's an opportunity if you make something out of it. So no matter how how bad it looks, if you make something out of it, you can make something out of it, and it's a puzzle to be solved. So a bit like sort of our current solution, financial crime detection is like zero point zero one percent. But uh, if we put our heads together, we can increase it, and we can change it. We can stop deforestation. And uh, we can stop all these human trafficking and, and so on, all these crimes that are done for profit. So no matter how daunting something appears, there's always a way to overcome Absolutely. it. Absolutely. So um, the next segment really goes into our expert opinion piece and is today going to really deep dive into a bit more about Amalia and Riscotech and your views on financial crime and solving this pain point. So why did you start Riscotech? Well, during my banking career, I noticed that the industry approach to financial crime compliance is completely inefficient, needlessly costly, and it didn't solve any issues that it was trying to solve. So banks still get fines at the same rate as 10 years ago. Financial crime risk doesn't get properly assessed or detected, and there has been really little change despite all the money spent. But I dislike complaining about something that without making an attempt at a solution. So therefore, I set out to create a financial crime detection and risk assessment solution that can use complex data analytics and AI to de detect complex transnational criminal activity, such as financial crime, and help disrupt the root cause of many of the world's worst issues to help it make a better place. Uh, I, I also felt that there was so much I could do, but felt held back by the bureaucracy and the patriarchal culture of large financial institutions. Basically, if you have an idea, then you need to go it on your own. Yeah, and it's often a very long process of trying to be agile, but but not really being agile. And, and so things just take a really long time. And so, you know, here you are. How many years has it been now since you started? Uh, since we started, we started, uh, I, I founded the company on Valentine's Day 2018. I don't know what other people do. <laughs> you founded your new love, Amalia. And so you were talking to me um, earlier. Tell me a little bit about the name Amalia. How did that come up? So um, Amalia, I mean, we wanted to do something about AML. So financial crime is AML, anti-money laundering. And uh, we had Indonesian developers for this. And Indonesian developers, they, they were really excited about the project that they're going to embark on. And so they were searching for names and they had team fun. And then somebody says, uh, oh, Amalia, my, my girlfriend is called Amalia and it's AML. Why don't we call it Amalia? And so then the, when we saw the first draft of, of their solution, then it said Amalia and we all fell in love with it. It's a fantastic idea. Absolutely. No, it's fantastic. I'm just um, this poor Kiwi girl from down south who struggles to say different names. <laughs> but I, I, I won't forget it now. <laughs> No, Amalia. And in fact, it sounds almost romantic, which... Um, you can fall in love with it. And when you start investigation, you also get... To, it's, it's like addictive, like you would be to a love. You just want to know one more thing. Yeah, absolutely. And uh, the solution's helping to detect that. So, you know, uh, you've talked a little bit already in the podcast about why there's been so little progress in making a dent in financial crime. Tell me a little bit more about that and your experience. I think over the last 10 years that I listened carefully, there have been thousands of conferences and uh, I spent quite a bit of money to go to these conferences, to speak at the conferences. There's experts from banking, from government, from NGOs, 
They're industry groups, so they are very good at highlighting the problem. We all know why there's wildlife crime. We all know about deforestation. But then when it comes to the solution, so usually these conferences, they don't have technology providers to speak because you could have a solution. <laughs> so it highlights the problem. But uh, to focus on the solution would be, I think, more interesting. I can take it. It creates awareness. But at the same time, we need to stop complaining about the problem and uh, form ideas to solve it. It's, uh, it's important and we're running out of time. So corrupt government officials still operate openly in many countries and very few are convicted. And if they are, they get acquitted at, at appeals process. So it's really, you know, financial crime compliance at many banks is still largely full of manual processes, inefficient silos, systems that detect almost nothing but cost millions. They have huge staff and numbers to analyze thousands of false positives. It's estimated that over you know, two trillion annually get laundered, and it's uh, who knows what the estimate is if one person can be bigger than the GDP of his whole country that he manages. Um, so it, uh, it 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 must be gigantic. So three hundred millions in fines are paid by banks, and billions spent in compliance, and uh, and it just doesn't change. So it's, it, the process is not uh, not the right process that we all follow, and uh, so with this we need to we need to do a few changes. We need Amalia. Absolutely, I think you know one of the things that you talked about when we had our prep call was around the fact that police officers and certain officials just actually don't have the resources or the experience. They've been trained for one part of crime, and and financial crime is just so different. Um, yeah, I mean, how, how do you reach this other 99.9%, you know, of undetected crime? Yeah, that's right. And, and so we're all looking at silos and uh, we also don't share information because it's confidential. And uh, as much as I love data protection, but it also helps the criminals a lot. And I'm not entirely sure why there's uh, why why the big push for GDPR to just name a few has been so successful, and uh, so it's been backed by by people. I don't know if you would uh, get such a large push for childcare or so. How important it is, it probably would be a really hard task to put through. But uh, data protection, um, everybody understands and they do it. But yet for detection, it's a it's a nightmare. And uh, so I think. Um, well, we, are, we are running all these silos and looking at narrow aspects and we look at sanction screening and we look at transaction monitoring and all of these can take data sources uh, you know, only once, but then you don't learn from the other one. And uh, so it's important to take all those data sources in one go, analyze them against financial kind key indicators and get an explainable financial crime risk rating that can be dynamically and it's updated as new information comes to light. So it needs to be an assessment and a qualified assessment, much like credit risk has 21 or more categories. Financial crime has two, it's high or low, it's a yes or a no. And uh, I think we can do better. I think, that, I think that's really interesting, right? Like yeah, comparing it to credit risk um, or even market risk, you know, there's just so much quantitative factors um, or even qualitative that go into an assessment and you're right it's so much more granular than standard methods that we use right now this episode is brought to you in partnership with my compliance office with clients in over 80 countries and employees around the world my compliance office is committed to delivering affordable easy to use compliance technology 
Thank you, My Compliance Office, for your support of Risky Women Radio. So talk to me a little bit more. Amalia, how can these challenges be solved? I just keep wanting to say that name now. (laughs) (laughs) So Amalia was created specifically to address those kind of issues. And uh, so she, she uses our AI engine to analyze these massively big data sets, terabytes of data sets in one go, and then lets us know who is uh, who appears suspicious and why they appear suspicious. And so the financial crime risk assessment and detection can be improved by simultaneously looking at analyzing all data sources relevant to the detection of criminal activity combined with logic and AI that understands all known criminal methods and typologies. So my solution can determine who is connected to whom in a criminal network and understand how they are committing their criminal activities, in, in particular with the light of a risk assessment. So many, many tools uh, build networks. So yes, they are connected, but how suspicious is it? And maybe it is suspicious. So if you compare that to market risk, where you lose basis points if the market moves against you and uh, for financial crime, you just say suspicious, you're you're now disembarked from banking. <laughs> and it's like 100 countries are excluded from financial financial services, have no access to the world's financial services. It's a pretty, pretty blunt tool uh, in the fight. Then you just drive the criminals underground. So it, it needs to be going away from these silos and needs to fit into one place. I don't know on... on how many people are still remembering that we had Walkmans, video recorders, uh, music players, and many other things, CDs, and uh, all of it when the iPhone came out, all of this was redundant. And we need to get into this from the financial crime perspective as well. We need to do better and put it all together. And this is what Amalia can do. So law enforcement can use the system to detect complex financial crime activity by linking the relevant data with criminal justice data together, for example. Now, how cool is that uh, somebody opens a new company, you continuously run it against the justice and you know, oh, this guy has been convicted or he should be convicted and now he's opened up another company in this country. So you could be much better, much faster at detection and much more versatile in your response. That's that's interesting. I like the comment that, you know, Amalia is the smartphone for financial crime detection. And I think, you know, as the world in general, we've seen this in a risk compliance financial sector perspective is demanding more open data, um, you know, to really integrate with APIs, multiple different countries. We're going to be able to see, we need systems like this to be able to identify and pull that information together. So it sounds like that's a bit what, what she's doing. I think absolutely, and uh, and that is so essential to put it together to make sense of it. And this is what AI technology can really do. Yeah. So, so tell me a bit more about that. Um, you've, I mean, I've been passionate about AI for a while. I used to work in a regulatory compliance space where AI is very much so needed in mapping obligations, etc. So, um, and reading legal text, which is challenging. So, tell me a little bit. How does AI tech help you from a financial crime perspective? Yeah, so through AI technology, systems can be taught to think like a money launderer. And we even have a training course titled Think Like a Money Launderer. And we teach places like Interpol or financial institution to think like a money launderer and teach the currently known methods, which many are known. They're scattered all over the internet, but they're not in one place and they're not 
not sort of in bite-sized chunks that uh, you could immediately use to detect under time pressure. So we use them and using these to learn how these will change in response to new variables, new controls, for example, you put in new laws or methods of detection. So to give an example, if a customer submits the same invoice number multiple times in support of a trade finance letter and makes this trade always with the same counterparty, which relates to products that are unusual for their stated business. AI can then be used to detect the various combinations of suspicious indicators in this pattern. A bank will not need to rely on a small number of people that are highly experienced analyzing, reviewing many pages of these trade documents to spot this. AI has uh, the added benefit of removing the concentration risk of key people leaving the organization. So if you usually rely on people who are trained in something, but not everybody can be an expert in any sort of product there is out in this world. So how, how on earth can you detect it? So you need to, we, we create an algorithm that then takes away the need for the specialist knowledge and you can plug in algorithms in that says, uh, put this container containing computers would the, would the invoice be understated, overstating, or is there a chance of ghost shipping? And so you don't need the knowledge to know how, how you validate computers. And then uh, Amalia will tell you. And also, like, if you have a, a, a container that has a certain weight, is from a tea company, but all of a sudden it's heavier and it took uh, 48 hours to be delivered to the port, which is only 1.5 kilometers away, then uh, it should flag up to say, watch out in this container, there is something in it and you'll find elephant tusks. Oh gosh, I've just got goosebumps thinking about that. I mean oh I mean it's it's fantastic that you can utilize this tool for doing this. And I think, you know, absolutely more law enforcement, financial crime sent, you know, FIUs um need to be utilizing this. I mean it sounds fantastic. If, if, you know if if there's a, a country or a FIU that just knows that there's lots of financial crime in this particular space and you've got the algorithms and the the knowledge to help detect it would be so much more efficient than just paying fine after fine i mean how how much can you pay into a system and how much would you save in a, in the fine alone and then you wouldn't make all the mistakes rejecting normal people because uh, they exceeded the, the threshold of $10,000 or they've moved addresses one too many times and uh, you reject this business, you pay these fines, but you wouldn't invest into revamping your uh, system infrastructure. So I think an intelligence system like ours that puts it all into one place could really help help banks also grow again, uh, you know, make more business, accept more people again. Yeah, absolutely, because of that risk assessment piece as well, right? Yeah, absolutely. Yeah. So it would tell you that this person is like 40% risky. There's something about them, but we think so in the absence of other things and positive other factors, we think it's like 40%. Then the risk officer can really go and say, I, I accept 40%, and, um, but I wouldn't accept 80%. So then it becomes uh, becomes an intelligent way to set your own risk appetite. Absolutely. And choose the products that that, that person's going to be able to have from you. Yeah. I think it would uh, would be very, very useful and would help everybody so that there's only winners in this, except the financial criminals maybe, but they, they'll find new methods. <laughs> so they, they're also pretty smart, so they retool anyway. <laughs> yeah, I do, as we've seen on those Netflix series. <laughs> so how will financial crime compliance evolve in the future? What is your future vision for financial crime compliance? 
I think first and foremost, so new data is being created at the uh, exponential rate. So it's the ability to ingest and analyze these new databases that are created everywhere is the crucial thing. And uh, the better we get at uh, ingesting new data, the better it will be for the detection. So financial crime, I think, will become easier to detect in the future as we're starting to be able to make uh, use of all sorts of inputs, including image and video recognition, geolocation, social media, internet data, and uh, many other data sources that could be analyzed simultaneously to detect suspicious activity. And both public and private sectors will also gain the ability to effectively predict criminal activity using predictive analytics and AI that can spot patterns that are likely the precursor of financial crime. So I think criminals will need to change and they will adapt to much more than previously in response to these new capabilities employed to detect them. They too will also be using AI and learn how to counter any detection measures and predict what law enforcement will likely try next. This will spark off a technology arms race, I'm pretty sure, and no end until perhaps the technology takes over, like the rise of the machines, so until Amalia gets really big or Amalia gets pregnant and gets more, <laughs> more little Amalias. <laughs> so, little baby Amalias. Oh. <laughs> and I also think laws and regulations uh, are being improved. So we already see that uh, the typologies that regulators put out, they're much better than they, they were five years ago. And uh, so they will be more specific, more gets detected, more gets documented, more we can put into algorithms to identify those beneficial owners and penalties will perhaps increase for those who don't act. I also think anti-corruption platforms are starting to be the key to winning. And I think this, uh, in many countries, this will, will provide a drastic change. I think as people are getting more aware of how, how widespread financial crime is, the more they will get motivated. And if a, a platform can make it available, much like Facebook that gave people a, a chance to, to talk about all social things, you know, Amalia, may one day be able to allow people to research um, if this house that they're going to buy, who, who owned it before and how was this purchased before and do they want to give this person their money or not. And that's a very real problem, isn't it? That's that's literally, you know, down to your real life as opposed to pie in the sky things that you don't think necessarily are next door and actually affecting you. It's been awesome listening to this and just seeing women in tech, women in fintech, women in regtech, you know, trying to change the game here and utilizing AI to to really detect financial crime, a true problem of our time. Yeah, it's absolutely fantastic. And as a, another regtech lover, mine in the conflicts of interest space, um, it's great speaking to you on on where you see this going and evolving over time. Connecting, celebrating and championing women in risk regulation and compliance, Risky Women Radio takes an intimate look at the rants and revelations of the top women shaping the debate and the industry. So, your rants and revelations. What is your revelation? Major institutions such as large international banks and law enforcement are not as advanced, effective or capable than many of the public seem to believe. They continue to be fragmented and slow to adapt game-changing technology and slow to adapt organizational structures. Criminals, on the other hand, tend to move really fast. They're two steps ahead or more or 100 steps ahead and make large amounts of money with low risk of detection. It's a sport. 
So law enforcement and, and financial services need to be ahead of the fast moving and smart criminals that need to be equipped with best technology, enabling sophisticated knowledge via AI. That is our answer. Ah, well, there you go. You've heard it here first. <laughs> yeah, no, absolutely. I think we've heard it with other reg techs as well, right? And the startup and rise of different types of financial services businesses, starting from a core proposition and then growing on new technology and with new conduct risk focus. You're right, you know, these major institutions and large international banks that have historically been in place find it difficult to move and to change in the way that they need to, to help prevent and detect financial crime. That's a great revelation. And um, what about your rent? Why do nice people often finish last? I think organizational gangs can launder the proceeds of narcotics, weapons, humans, wildlife, deforestation and corruption, and uh, that keeps the majority of humanity living in complete poverty. Is possible, no problem, without much of the chance of being caught. Nice people who follow the rules on average earn very little in comparison to those who cheat the system and take a shortcut. Yeah. That accountability, right? Accountability and responsibility. Mm. That's right. Uh, and you know, I, I don't want to complain without uh, providing a solution. So um, my answer to this is uh, create uh, a very smart financial crime detection engine and uh, that provides a risk assessment and can use a complex data analytics to detect uh, the transnational activity. When you go transnational, you're invisible currently. So it's a fantastic way to launder money, do all sorts of crimes, because in the uh, country you're in, the crime was committed somewhere else. And uh, the country you're somewhere else, the crime was found somewhere else. So it's nobody's responsibility. So we should try and discover this. And I don't think nice people need to finish last if we're determined enough to, to make that difference. Absolutely. Thank you very much. And I think all of those, that that award that you received recently and, and all of this really just goes to show that, you know, stepping out of your comfort zone and starting a, a new business like this, you've already mentioned multiple times how rewarding it is. I mean, we've, we've heard it here and I'd say our listeners would agree. It's fantastic to see that, you know, there's people trying to, to turn this around and help those nice people so they don't finish last. It's, yeah, fantastic. Risky Women is a vibrant network at the centre of a global community in a rapidly growing, evolving and influential industry. Given the continued pace of change, our Rapid Fire Round revisits the most pressing topics to share ideas and offer listeners new perspectives. Let's go to the Rapid Fire Round. What is one word to describe the world of governance, risk and compliance? Inefficient. Oh, ouch. <laughs> No comment. Cure for the cost of compliance and wave of regulatory change. Data analytics, artificial intelligence, high-tech technology, all in one place. Absolutely fantastic. Are you optimistic, pessimistic, or neutral in your outlook for the year ahead? I'm an optimist, a proven optimist. Technology is rapidly advancing, and feasible solutions for some of the world's biggest issues are being developed and uh, by, by innovative, very driven people. It's always going to be better. I think we've heard your optimism throughout the entire podcast today, so I don't think that was a shock, <laughs> a shock at all. How about a book you recommend that everyone reads? My favorite book is Trust Me, I'm a Banker. <laughs> and I think 
this book combines everything you need to know about financial services and and, and it puts together all the I mean there there are many good players in companies I've met many wonderful people lovely people and but I've also met a few not so lovely people and this book combines the characters of all these few not so lovely people and combines it into one character and it's entertaining <laughs> hilariously entertaining <laughs> and it was released during the credit crisis <laughs> he has since David Charter has since released a few more so if you want to giggle a little bit or falling asleep this is the book to read <laughs> There we go. And we all we also had that other book recommendation earlier in the piece as well from um, Singapore's founder. So we're going to be busy. Something to watch. My favorites are around the money laundering things on Netflix. <laughs> so Narcos, it's a Netflix crime drama on the story of the drug kingpin Pablo Escobar and the other ones who followed. And it's a old school money laundering, still relevant uh, as drug dealers of uh, narcos have had little need to use to change because they're not detected so they still they still can operate a lot and if they are detected they cannot get convicted and um i also like um call soul call soul is a is a predecessor from the breaking bad and uh soul goodman is one who tried it the nice way and he just couldn't find traction he was too too innovative, too, uh, you know, too disruptive and didn't fit the normal lawyer pattern. And eventually he ends up working for the, for the criminals because they accept him the way he is and uh, they can use his talents best. And so it's uh, the story of a, of a really lovely lawyer turning into a, a lawyer for criminals. Excellent. And then your favorite podcast or something to listen to? Yeah. I mean, I've had a fantastic experience now. Um, being recorded. <laughs> I think Risky Women podcast uh, is excellent and we need more of those. I'm looking forward to to seeing the other podcasts as well, or hearing rather. And I think you were mentioning earlier that you're a bit of a fan of TED Talks as well. I'm a fan of uh, TED Talks and uh, I, I listen so in particular in like the guidance kind of ones, how to, for business coaching, so the, the how do you sell? How do you market? How do you select the right talents? How do you run your business and so on? These are very inspirational ones. And I'm really grateful for people who, who take the time to talk at TED Talk and uh, then make it available to all of us. This is something like we want to do for the algorithms is, uh, you know, here's your advice, what to look for. And then it's available to everyone. No, absolutely. It's all in the, the greater good of improving our hit rate from that 0.01% that we potentially think it is for financial crime. Let's spread the word and, and help to detect it. Well, thank you very much. It's been fantastic speaking to you. And we look forward to seeing how you go here in Singapore. And, and I look forward to meeting you post-COVID and perhaps seeing a little bit more of how Amalia works. Thank you so much. And thank you for, for interviewing me on this uh, Risky Women podcast. It's an excellent initiative and very insightful. Thank you for listening to this exciting episode of Rescue Women Radio to connect, champion and celebrate women in risk regulation and compliance. I'm Kimberly Cole, based in Hong Kong. For more information on the Risky Women Global Network, head to our website in the episode notes and please be part of the ongoing conversation by subscribing to this podcast, connecting with us at Risky Women on Twitter or even reaching out to me directly by email.